You know what I have learned, and it didn't take me all my life to learn this. <laughs> okay, I learned it early on that as a, as a pastor, I'm not in charge. I work for the guy that's that's in charge, but I'm not in charge. Now you say, well, Nelson, that's pretty obvious. Well, it's not obvious to every pastor. Okay. It t- sometimes it takes us a long time to learn that. But I have learned that I'm not in charge, and if I'll just be quiet and listen, God will just... It's amazing how God brings everything together, okay? I, I, got, I got this message, and it, is the mo- it was the most... It, it, I don't know if... I know some of you got something out of last week, but I have no clue what I said, Okay? I actually wrote this down, and, and when I was writing it down, I'm thinking, why am I writing this down? Because I don't have a clue what it means, okay? And, but God's just, he's, he's working. He, he's, 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 I believe he is speaking to us specifically because he is getting ready to do something very specific, okay? Uh, I'm going to share a little bit more about this, but I want you to be, I want you to be praying if you haven't already been praying, but... I've invited about 36 pastors from all around here to come here Tuesday night and pray. Now, we're going to pray for revival. That's, that's why we're going to meet. I've, I've invited uh, Baptist and Methodist and Assemblies of God and Church of God. I invited the, the Catholic uh, pastor from St. Henry's and Warrior. I, I've invited... Churches that I don't even understand their names. They're so long. Okay, but I, they're, they're evangelical. They're, 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 they're going after Jesus. Uh, some of their... Uh, what was interesting, I'll tell this and, and I'm going to move on, but out of the 12 or 14 that I sent to Warrior, 10 of them came back. No address, can't develop, no box. So I... You know, it's, a, it's hard to find an address for somebody that don't want, doesn't want you to find them. Okay, it's hard to find phone numbers for folks that don't want to be called. All right, I'm not talking about pastors or churches. I'm just saying it's tough to find. So I I, I do everything. I go back and and I, I I go to the I call the post office about four times and finally they come back to the phone and 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 a guy gives me two or three addresses. I hand deliver them and stick some in the door. Okay, I I, I know there's a church there. But nothing on the website gives me any indication of how to get a letter to them. So I, I just did it. And, and, and so this Tuesday night, I'm trusting God because I have been obedient to what God gave me to do. Okay? I haven't heard as much as a cricket chirp from any pastor that I sent a letter to. But that doesn't mean anything. I, I understand how that works. But listen, I have, I have, I have endured the devil <laughs> for for three weeks and every you know y'all know what i'm talking about you know when you step out what he does and and god just gave me uh he, he gave me this years ago but he reminded me of this passage in in, in uh, ephesians chapter six uh talks about spiritual warfare and it says it's it, it the the paul uses a word it means to stand firm and, and he uses it th- Four times, he uses uh, it three times to mean that you're to hold your ground and you're to, you're to wait until the, 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 the word comes to advance. But in one place, it means to withstand. Okay? It means to plant your feet 
It means to take hold of your weapons, and it means to lean in and let the enemy do what the enemy wants to do until he's done and the command comes. Sometimes we have to withstand the attack. Sometimes we have to, we, we don't just stand firm, we withstand, we endure it. But you know what? The, the attack comes and the attack goes. And when the, attack, when the devil has done his best, if you'll listen, God will speak in it. Okay? And he will tell you now, you advance, take ground. But what happens most of the time is we turn and run when the heat gets going. When it gets too hot, we run. I haven't run yet, okay? I still got two more days. I'm holding on, okay? I'm leaning in. I'm trusting God because I know God is up to something. I know it. I've heard it. It's been confirmed over and over and over. And so I just want to ask you to pray. Pray for those pastors that will come. Pray that God will give us, uh, that His Spirit will just, just drop in this place. And He will unite our hearts to just pray for God to move. That's all I want to do is pray for God to move in our communities. I don't want them to be like me, and I'll guarantee they don't want to be like, uh, they don't want to be like me. So we just want to unite. You know, there are some things that unite us. As believers all around the world, Protestant and Catholic and Orthodox, and it's all around the person of Jesus. It's when we get out a few steps from Jesus that we start to argue with each other. And we we create all these things that we disagree on. But when you get to the core, there are some basic things. And so I, I, I'm I just I want to appeal to you to pray for that unity and ask God to bring them. Uh, there are men, there are women. I, I invited them to bring their staffs. I, I, if, listen, if the shepherds will pray, if the shepherds will pray and get on the same page, God will show up. Okay? He will show up. Now, I'm not preaching on that, but I'm preaching on something that, that is, is maybe an extension of that. Uh, I'm not, I would have never done very well in a, a church or a denomination where you use the, the, the calendar to preach sermons. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just not very good on, on specialty sermons, all right? I, I, don't, I struggle when we have Christmas sermons. I struggle uh, when we have, you know, special days. It's, it's just a struggle for me. And I don't think I have ever preached a Palm Sunday service uh, sermon, uh, and, and I'm going to preach one today, but it's, it's not so much about the celebration of as it is what was taking place here and what happened. And depending on you, who you were that day, and whether you were aware of what was happening or not, determined your future. It determined your destiny. And the scripture, the scripture, as I study it and, and as I read it, is filled with moments of destiny. Unexpected moments sometimes where li- the lives and the futures of individuals and, and of, 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 of peoples and groups and nations even is eternally fe- affected in one moment, just in a moment of time. And those moments of destiny are, are often, uh, more often than not, they're moments of visitation. Now, that's a word we don't use very often, but God visits us. 
Okay? He visits us individually. He, in, he visits us as, as groups. And He visits nations from time to time. And, 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 and God shows up in those visitations. He shows up unexpectedly sometimes. He shows up often unannounced. But He is always obvious. He, he's not hidden away or camouflaged. He's obvious. The King of Glory appears and, and everything when He appears changes in that moment. Whether or not you and I realize it or not. Things change. Too often the, these moments, they're, they're singular. They're one of a kind moments. And too often they're missed. Or they're ignored by the intended recipients. And, and sometimes they never know it. They never grasp it or they don't realize the gravity of who or what has been wasted and squandered. They, they just don't know it. And the reality of it is it's probable that every one of us in this room will experience at least one of these visitations and probably more. I would almost say they happen a lot more frequently than we think. Sometimes these visitations happen in the midst of stress and suffering. Sometimes in loneliness and in loss. Sometimes they, are, they, they, they happen when the fantasies of, fly, of, of fame and glory take over. And then it collides with the cost of the truth and with honesty. Sometimes they, 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 ta- they take place when victory and defeat intersect, when they collide. Sometimes they take place on the, on the ledge of an abyss when the call of our Savior and the cries of our own flesh wrestle together and clamor uh, for our full obedience. Sometimes they happen in a moment of overwhelming power and sometimes in a moment of utter weakness. And what happens in those moments is an offer is extended. A dis decision is required a choice is made whether knowingly or unknowingly and then destiny is eternally affected it's a visitation now too often we think the only time God visits us is when he saves us it's not (laughs) okay if you study scripture he visited kings that were not saved And he visited after they were saved. You see, God loves people. Men and women and boys and girls from the lowest ranks to the highest ranks and everywhere in between. Visitation. And we're going to celebrate a little bit this morning because that's what this day is. It's the celebration of a visitation to a city. We call it Palm Sunday. It's a commemoration of of that moment when Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem through the adulation and the acclamation of His disciples and His followers. But you know what? The vast majority of the nation of Israel either totally missed it or they purposely ignored it. Either way, they refused to embrace it. And I, want to, I just want to read this, this passage in, 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 in totality this morning because there's a lot in this passage and, and I'm not going to focus on but just honestly a phrase 
at the very end and go back and maybe look at a, at a, at a moment or two and, and we'll be done this morning. Now Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem the last time. Okay, I'm going to set the context a little bit. This is, this is when Bartimaeus, uh, just outside of Jericho, is, is on his, his beggar's cloth and he's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And this crowd is beginning to build with Jesus. And, and they're headed, it's, it's pilgrimage, okay? They're headed to the feast, one of the feasts that every man has to appear at. It's Passover, and they have to. They, they are to go. And what happens is, is this? They're, they're already tourists headed to Jerusalem. But this this little group, and I, and I, I want you to hear me when I say this, because too often this gets neglected. There was a nucleus around Jesus that had no doubt who he was. They didn't understand everything, okay? They didn't understand that he had to die in, 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 in Jerusalem. They didn't understand all of that. They, they didn't have everything, but they believed he was who he said he was because he had set them free. There were men, there were women. I don't know how many of them there were. It was a pretty good crowd. But around this crowd, there were others who in varying degrees either believed he was what he said he was or who he said he was or, you know what, he can do something for me. Either way, there was a pretty good crowd. And as this crowd moved through and headed up to Jerusalem, Jericho is down here, okay? If you ever go to Israel, you will understand why the Bible talks about up and down. Everything is with relation to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's up, okay? It's the king's throne. Okay, I could get into a whole bunch of stuff here. I can't go near to this morning. Okay, it's it's the Jerusalem. When you when you look at the at the at the land of Israel, it, it's 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 the it's the the holy place, and the Temple Mount was the holy of holies. If you want a picture of of what's happening, but Jerusalem is up, and and um, uh, uh, Jer- Jericho is is among one of the lowest places in the world. And so this crowd is going up. They, they encounter uh, Bartimaeus and, and, and probably many more individuals. Okay, this is just the one we have. And, and Jesus uh, uh, t- touches uh, uh, Bartimaeus. Then he, he engages uh, Zacchaeus. And he, he, take, he takes a time out. And he goes to the man's house and eats. And Zacchaeus is, is literally, he's changed. He's transformed. And then Jesus begins to teach to the group that is around Him, to His disciples, to to those that were closest to Him. Not everybody's hearing this, but they're following. And He he teaches a, a, a... It's interesting. He teaches some parables. Or He teaches... I don't know that it's really a parable. It's a story about what's about to happen. And it's about... The, the, the talents or the minas, the, 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 the whatever, but it's about that the, the king gave a certain servant a few and he gave another one a few and he gave another one one and what they did with it. In other words, you know what? We're responsible for what God has given us. It's our job to be aware of what's going on. That's what he's left us. So Jesus teaches them this. And then when he finishes teaching in this, it says, and after that, in verse 28 of chapter 19, he says, and after that he said to these, said these things. He was going on ahead as, as, as ascending to Jerusalem. And it came about that when he approached Bethpage and, and Bethany, 
near the mount that is called Olivet. In other words, those are two little uh, communities right on the other side of the, of the hill that Jerusalem sits on, on the Mount of Olives. And so he says, he says, uh, he sent two of his disciples saying, I want you to go into the village opposite of you in which you are, uh, in which as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Then you shall speak, the Lord has need of it. And those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the coat? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the coat, and they put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their garments on the road. And as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, if you ever go to, to Israel on a, on a pilgrimage trip to see the Holy Land, you will see the exact place I'm about to read about. You will walk right on the same ground. The only difference is there's a sidewalk there now or a paved place, and there wasn't a paved place then. And so he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to praise. See, the whole multitude of the disciples. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, is specifying in Luke who was praising Jesus. It was disciples. Disciples are not just people who've, who've joined the crowd. Disciples are those who have walked with the teacher and know what the teacher thinks and know what the teacher believes and understand a great deal about the message of the teacher. These were the people Jesus had been pouring his life into for three and one half years. They're disciples. They are learning the discipline of their master. And so the multitude of disciples begin to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, tell them to shut up. Do you not understand what they're saying? I'm going to come back to this. But don't you know what they're saying? To rebuke them. I love this next verse. And Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Can I tell you something? You will never know this until you go there. Those stones are still crying today. Because the nation rejected him. Okay? Those stones are still crying. They're scattered all over. They're not rebuilt. He says this. And when he approached, he saw the city and he wept over it. By the way, this is the second time. I, I, I feel like Jesus wept a great deal. Okay? But it's the second time that we know for certain he wept. One was with the raising of Lazarus and, and then here. And he weeps over the city. And, and he's not weeping over the buildings. Okay? He's not weeping over this great edifice of, 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 of human endeavor that's called a temple. He's weeping over the inhabitants of the people that live there. And he says this, If you had known in this day, even you, 
the things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the day shall come upon you when your enemies, he's beginning to prophesy what he's beginning to do. But for the day shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank or a siege ramp or a, a mountain of dirt uh, against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and you and will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And here's the reason. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus has, has finally arrived at that, that, that destination that He came for. For that moment that He was born to, to die for. He finally makes it to the, to the... He's not in the city yet, by the way. He's still outside the city. When He enters the city, He will enter through the temple gate. He will go into the temple. He will clean the temple out. He'll return. He'll go back out. He'll spend the night, as far as we know, in the Mount of Olives, uh, somewhere in the, the olive grove. But He's finally arrived. And so He sends two disciples into the village to get this donkey coat that nobody's ever ridden in on. Now, to be honest with you, that sounds a little strange, right? Won't you all admit that? I mean, he's got a hundred other things he needs to do. Why is he so specific about this cult of a donkey? Well, there's a reason. Everything that Jesus does on this trip is a fulfillment of a prophecy that had happened hundreds or even thousands of years before. In other words, he's dotting I's and crossing T's and putting exclamation point on God's instructions. And if you read God's instructions, you will know what God is about to do. That, 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 that's what Scripture teaches. You know what? Abraham. God makes a visit. He says, you know what? Abraham's my friend. I need to let him know what I'm doing. And so he does. I'm headed to Sodom. I'm headed to Gomorrah. I'm going to destroy it. Over and over and over the prophets come and they speak to the people. And, and for those that are listening, there are directions. There's correction. There's instruction. There's encouragement. And so what happens is, is Jesus is about to dot an I and cross a T that nobody in this city misses. Okay? Nobody misses what's about to happen. Now, we don't grasp this because this is not part of our culture. It's different. So what happens is, is, is the kings of Israel, guess what they rode? They rode donkeys, mules. They didn't ride these big white Roman chargers, these big horses. They didn't ride those. They rode donkeys. And very often when they would crown a king, the king would, they would seat the king on a colt that had never been ridden before and they would lead the colt through the city and they would proclaim that this individual is the king. This is exactly, and I'll, I'll say a little bit more about it, but this is exactly how, is what happens when, when Solomon is made king. He's, they seat him on his father's donkey, which is everybody knew this is David's donkey. He's been king for 40 years. 
This is the donkey that he rides. And so what happens is Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy. Well, where's this prophecy at? Well, it's in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. He says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. And he is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a coat. The foal of a donkey. You want to know how precise God is to the prophetic word he gives? He accomplishes it down to the jots and the tittles. You say, what is that? That's those little squiggly marks in, in Hebrew. If you ever see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. He dots his eyes and he crosses his T's. And the crowd following Jesus... The, 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 those, those disciples, I want to say the disciples, not the whole crowd. Those that are closest to him, they recognize what's happening. And there are some of them that, that strip off their, their, gar, their, uh, their robes and they put them on the donkey and they place Jesus in the scripture. I just saw this this morning for the first time. Even as many times as I've read this passage. And they brought it to Jesus, they threw their garments on the coat, and they put Jesus on it. He's the king. He's the king. He's the king. And then they begin to to take their garments off and lay them in the street. And they begin to to cut. You know, I don't know what kind of bushes were there, but there's a lot of palm trees there. So they're cutting cutting greenery is basically what the text says. And they're laying it in the road so that that the, uh, the, the, the king can ride into the city. And Jesus is approaching the royal city. He, he's not in it yet, but He's coming to the royal city. He's descending the Mount of Olives. He's about to start up the ascent into the, uh, the area where you would go through the gate to the, the beautiful gate to, the, to the, the temple. And He is fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament as He approaches the city of the king. And what happens is His disciples, not the crowd... His disciples begin to break in to, to worship and they begin to chant certain things. And if you read uh, uh, Matthew and you read Mark, you will find that, that they give a more Hebrew explanation than Luke does. Luke tells us he translated, Blessed is the King. Because that's, he understood what the Hebrew words meant. But here's what they were saying. They're, 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 they're quoting a passage of Scripture. Right out of the Old Testament. And by the way, most of what will take place the rest of this week are direct fulfillments of Scriptures right out of the Old Testament. Psalm 22 tells us what it's like to be crucified by by a man who never saw crucifixion. It describes the physical aspects of it. You know what I believe? I believe David, God gave David a glimpse of Jesus. And what he'd go through. And he writes it down for us. But here's what, here's what Psalms 118.26 says. The, the crowd begin to shout this. They begin to, to, to uh, chant this. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the king. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record that they were shouting Hosanna. Any of you ever heard that? Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us, we pray. It means, it means all glory. It means we welcome you. 
And, and they're, just, they're not just shouting Hosanna, they're shouting it to someone. They're addressing Jesus as the Son of David. Matthew chapter 21 verse 9 tells us that. Luke doesn't, doesn't say that. He says, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. But we, as we put all of them together, we hear what, what happens. And, and so it's Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. So what's the big deal? Well, if we understood the Bible as well as they understood the Bible, it would make a great deal. Because quite literally, they were welcoming Jesus as the one who would sit on the throne of David and be king. You say, Nelson, where do you get that? Because a son of David was, was a part of the family from which the kings had come from. By the way, right now, they didn't have a king. Caesar was, was the emperor. Herod was the king, but he wasn't Jewish, and he wasn't from the tribe of Judah, and he was not a descendant of David. And by the way, God had promised David, you will have a son who sits on your throne forever. In other words, your line will be the kings that I recognize. And so, they hadn't had a king for a while. For a long time. Over 400 years. No king. No king from the tribe of David. And so, they're excited. And they begin to they begin to chant this, and 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 what they're they're doing is they are welcoming Jesus to the royal city as king. Now, is that everybody? Nope, that's not everybody. There are people that are following this crowd that are just excited because they're excited. Okay, they they think something big is going to happen. Maybe he's going to give us bread again, or or maybe he's going to do a miracle, and and we can watch that. But for the nucleus around him they are bringing the king into his city and they're doing it with all their gusto yet the majority of the people that day missed that and when I say missed I don't mean they didn't know what was going on they understood what was being said they understood the significance of the donkey they understood Hosanna. They understood Son of David. They understood it. They just ignored it or they rejected it. And so Jesus speaks prophetically. And like I've said, He, sp- he was speaking uh, to the inhabitants, but He's speaking to them as that city. And He tells them in, in clear graphic terms that there's a day close by when their enemies would surround them, they would breach the walls, they would devastate, and they would utterly destroy the city. And their en- enemies would not just destroy the city, they would destroy them indiscriminately. They would kill men, they would kill women, they would kill children, they would kill old, they would kill young this is a graphic picture, but it's, it's biblical. You see it in several places. Literally, Jesus saying here is saying here, uh, and your children within you, is they will rip your children, they will rip unborn babies out of the pregnant women. That was a tactic that was used very often. I mean, it's beyond 
awful. And then he says this, no stone will be left on another. And what happens is their glorious temple is going to be burned and destroyed and those that survived are going to be carried off and at, throughout and dispersed through the world, which by the way, they, most of them are still dispersed throughout the world. I don't know, for those of you that follow the prophetic word or not, 1948, when Israel became a nation, is important in the calendar of God. All right? It's important. It's pretty important that the President of the United States has declared that Jerusalem is now Israel's capital. That's pretty important. Or, or it's, he's put a... a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Y'all got it. But there are some other things that we need to pay attention to. There are more Jews in New York City than there are in Israel. All right? They're still dispersed everywhere. They're still out there. And this day came, and it, it's, it, you, can, you can go to a day historically. It happened in 70 A.D. And the Roman general Titus, he fulfills this prophecy of Jesus completely. He destroys Israel decimates it. It takes him three or four years to get the last group up on top of Masada, but he gets them. Or he doesn't get them. They, they kill themselves. But they're dead. And so, so why does Jesus proclaim this utter destruction? Jesus, you know, that, 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 that picture of that honey brown colored individual with that golden hair and that, that halo around his head that we have painted so often. So why does Jesus proclaim that? Jesus meek and mild. Jesus proclaims this utter decimation in Jerusalem. He proclaims it on her people for one reason. And it's found at the very end of this. He says this, because you did not recognize your time of visitation. The majority of the population did not embrace Jesus. They crucified Jesus. I, I, I imagine there were some in that crowd. I've heard this all my life. But until I really dug into this passage, I've, I've heard this. I don't know how true it is. There were some, I'm sure, that were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. But then on Friday it was crucify, crucify. But not this group that was around him. Okay? Not this group that's around him. There's disciples. There's followers. They're, they're the people that he's poured his life into. And so what happens is God comes to visit his people. He knocks on their door and nobody will let them in. He shows up as the king and they reject him. And they kill him. And what happens is, is he will tell a parable in chapter 20. Of, uh, of, uh, excuse me, in Luke chapter 20. He also tells it in Mark 12 and in Matthew 21. He, he tells a parable to his disciples about uh, the, the landowner who, who rents his land out and he sends a servant to collect what's due him. And they, they, they stone his servant. He sends some more and they do the same things. He sends some more, they kill some of them. And finally he says, you know what? I will send my son. Surely, surely. They will give him what's due him. Jesus is painting a picture for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear what's about to take place. 
And so what happens is they miss their time of visitation. They miss it as individuals. They miss it as religious groups. They miss it as a nation. They miss it theologically. They miss it politically. And every other way that you could miss it, they miss it. Yet it's, it's I say this, and, 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 and it seems so obvious looking back, it's obvious to anybody who's got half a brain and can interpret Scripture as what's going on. It didn't come out of left field. It didn't come out of nowhere. Jesus had been consistently preaching and proclaiming and demonstrating the arrival of the king for three and one half years. Most of the people around him there, the the crowd that was following, they had seen him do some notable miracles. And those that had not actually seen it had heard it. Okay, many of these Pharisees, a, a, a great deal of the of the priestly class, they had either been to see and put their eyes on what was going on, or they had sent trusted uh, people to check it out. They were aware of who Jesus was. They were aware of what Jesus had done. They knew that he had healed the th- or he had done the things that the Messiah would do that scripture taught that they had taught for hundreds of years. They knew that Jesus had checked those off. They just would not believe it. And so there were tons of people who had seen him, and most of them had heard about it, and and many of them had witnessed Old Testament prophetic passages that had been passed down from generation to generation, fulfilled with their own eyes. They saw it, and yes, they missed their moment. There was a, here, right here, is a kairos moment. It's a a Greek word that means a, a moment in time. A very special moment in time that was designed by God to fulfill the destiny of the ones who were grasping what was taking place by faith. There was very little faith in that crowd. Very little. Instead, what happened is they reject it. And they ignore it because Jesus does not meet or he doesn't fit their expectations. He doesn't look or act like what they think he should act like. I've often wondered this, but if Jesus were to come in and sit down in the back of our church, would most of us really know him? Look, he's not going to be glowing. He's not going to have that honey brown beard and and that honey brown hair and that whatever the white light over his head is, he's not going to have all that. He's probably not going to have a robe and, uh, and, and uh, uh, flip-flops. That's all I can think of, and that's sufficient. Sandals. He's not, he's not going to have that on. He's not going to be carrying a sheep. Okay? Would we know him? Would we know him? But you know what? There were some around Jesus who did grasp it. And when they grasped it, they stepped into their destiny. And this passage of Scripture contains two very simple elements that every one of us need to learn uh, and to appropriate in our walk with Jesus. There are two things here that, that will help us so that we don't miss our moments 
of visitation. When they come personally or in the group or as a nation, there, there are things that, that have... Listen, God has a remnant always. From the beginning to the end, He works in a remnant. Everybody who confesses does not possess. All right? I'm just telling you that. There's always a remnant of people who have walked by faith. They walked by faith under the law, and they walked by faith in the new covenant. It's always been about faith. And so there was a group there that that embraced embraced it, and they did it in faith. And there's two elements that I want you to see. I'm going to make this point, and we're going to be done. But if we'll do these things consistently, we will embrace our moments of visitation whenever or wherever they occur. To embrace it, folks, number one, the, the first one, to embrace it, we have to recognize it. And to do that, we have to be looking for it. We have to be looking for those moments. We have to believe that when we ask God to do something or when God has promised that He will do something, that He really will do it. Okay? In other words, I have to believe the truth. And if I believe the truth, that will cause me to live differently. I will live with expectation. I will live with, a, with, an, with this, this anticipation that, that God's going to move. And so what happens is we have to be aware of our surroundings and we have to be assured of who God says He is. And not just who He says He is, we have to understand who He says we are. When you're not sure and you're confused about who He is or about who He says you are or, or, or whose you are, then you're confused about, can God do this or not? Is He really God? And if I'm confused about who says I am, I don't know who I am. I, I don't know my identity. So I don't know what, what belongs to me in, in God's uh, inheritance and in the inheritance of Jesus. And so if I don't understand those things... You say, well, I don't, I don't know all those things. Okay, is God who He says He is? And if He is, okay, you understand God. And do you believe that you are who God says you are? I'm not asking you, are you walking it out yet? Or has it come true in your life? But do you simply believe that God says this about you? If you do, you will walk it out. If you don't, You won't walk it out. You'll moan, you'll groan, you'll complain, you'll talk about all the bad things that are happening to you, but you will never walk in victory. Listen, bad things happen to good people. Not only good people, they happen to bad people as well. It's the the reality of living in this world. Bad things happen. And so what happens is this little group, they knew who Jesus was. They had heard Him teach. They knew what John the Baptist had said. John the Baptist had said this for everybody to hear. Behold, looky here. That's what we would say here in Alabama. Looky here. Here is the Lamb of God. I'm going to put my finger on Him. There He is right here, right here. That's what John had done. And there was a huge group of people there. Some of them were from Jerusalem. They were from all parts of the the nation. And they had heard John say that. And they knew their Bibles. Listen, these Jewish people knew the Old Testament. Every one of these boys, for the most part, 
in this, in this culture memorized the first five books of the Bible before they were 12 years old. Many of the young women did the same thing. They understood the prophets. They knew what the promises were. They weren't biblically ignorant and illiterate. They knew what Scripture said. And they recognized Him. Because they knew that Jesus was fulfilling everything God said He would feel, fulfill in the Messiah. And so they recognized Him. They couldn't ignore it. And so what happened is they chose to recognize it. Listen, you can see truth and know it's truth and ignore the truth. It happens every day. It happened here. But for these individuals, they could not ignore it. And in that moment, they chose to recognize it publicly. They weren't secret followers. They, weren't, they didn't stay safe behind anonymity. They acted in faith and they acted publicly. You, you say, well, so what's the big deal about that? Well, let me, let me just share that. I've made allusion to that a minute ago. But to mount, mount a man on a donkey who was from the tribe of Judah was a was a and a direct descendant of David on a donkey coat that had never been ridden was paramount to high treason. It was saying that the religious leaders in, in Jerusalem are not our leaders. The high priest is not our our leader. King Herod is not our leader and listen loud and clear, Caesar ain't the king. That's what they were saying. That's what they were declaring. It amazes me that the Roman governor didn't send the soldiers out into the street that very day. That's how they dealt with these things. They didn't go, "Mm, I wonder what that meant. They knew what it meant. See, God's doing something. He's doing something right here. And so what happens is is in that moment, that little parade was an act of belief. It was a declaration that Jesus is the king, not Caesar, not Herod, and not the high priest, whoever he is. Jesus is the king. And in that moment, they embraced that truth as it had been revealed. They didn't question it. They didn't ignore it. They acted on it. They recognized Jesus for who he is. They recognized the king. They embraced the moment. They embraced the moment and they recognize Jesus as King. It's not enough to embrace the moment and to recognize something. There's one other thing you have to do. And they did it here. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Secondly, they chose to honor the moment by honoring the exploits, the works of the King. In that moment, they chose to worship God with all their heart. I want you to look at, at, at verse 37 here. It says, the whole multitude, not the whole multitude that was there. It's very specific. The whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Jesus one time told me, if you don't believe I'm the Son of God, at least believe the works I've done. Because I've done the works of God. 
Well, these folks, they're, they're throwing a party. They, they begin to, these things begin to happen. I saw him do this. I saw him do this. And they begin to worship. They begin to honor those moments that they had seen. And, and, and most of them had personally, these, these core group had personally seen it with their eyes or they had experienced it in their bodies. They'd experienced these works of power. You know, when God does something to you, Nobody can convince you otherwise. Okay? And if they can, then God didn't do anything in you. I I have seen God do some things that are unexplainable. I have seen Him do some things in my life that are unexplainable. There's no scientific reason. It's not luck. It's not fate. It was miraculous. Most of you have seen those things. These people had seen them. So they refused to ignore them or to try to explain them away. There's always going to be somebody that's got a good answer or they think it's good. You can live by good answers or you can live by faith. All right? I'm going to share this and I don't think I have any power whatsoever that nobody else has. But whenever there's going to be a storm, I stand in my yard and I proclaim things. Because I have seen God answer it. At my house last night, the wind blew, the rain came, and there's three or four little tiny limbs in my yard. No tornadoes. Okay? I'm going to take that that God honored what I said. I prayed over this place from there. Because I only have authority in certain areas. I don't, my authority is not big enough to protect all of y'all. All right? I wish it were. But it's not. Maybe one day it will be. Maybe yours will be. There's no damage. No tornado. Yeah, well, Nelson, the so-and-so didn't meet the such-and-such and this and that. Well, you explain it any way you want, but that's not the first time it's happened. And I'm going to keep proclaiming, and I'm going to keep declaring because I believe the promises of God. You say, well, Nelson, where is that a promise? If Jesus did it, Jesus said we can do it, and we could do even greater things. Jesus did it in a boat. He said, wind be still. Or winds hush, waves be still. Okay? I'll just live with the, the, the cuckoo crew, okay? I'm all right there. It doesn't bother me. I'm going to pray that so God protects all of us. But I'm just saying that they gave witness to it. They, they begin to celebrate it. They begin to shout it. I mean, I, I can't imagine what it was like. This is the one who gives sight to the blind, who gives hearing to, the, to the, those that are deaf, who, who casts the demons out and sends them back to the feet of, the, of, of God, who, who sets our children free, who, who heals lepers. This is the guy who does it. And they gave witness and they gave testimony to anybody around them who would listen. That's why the crowd swells. Man, when you start talking about somebody that can take away your problems, people get excited. Okay? They, they, they fall in. All right? They line up. And so these individuals, they honor the king by celebrating his works. One of the things that we are trying to do in our body is to celebrate what God is doing among us. Now, we might call that, we may use different phrases like sharing your testimonies. Anybody got a word this week of testimony? Has anybody got something that God's done in their life? That's all we're doing is we're trying to create 
an atmosphere of thanksgiving because when there is an atmosphere of thanksgiving, more miracles happen. More acts of God, more visitations, more manifestations, and maybe habitation. Okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, I ain't got time to preach on that today. Okay? I got to get through. I promised you I'd be through in a moment. And so they gave witness and they gave testimony to anybody that listened. They honored the king by celebrating his works. No one had ever done the things that Jesus had done. Nobody. Not Moses, not Elijah, not Elisha. They did some things, but, but Jesus, his, his book blows the rest of them away. His acts of power blows the rest of them away. And he had just, a little earlier, on his last trip, raised Lazarus from the dead. And that was an exclamation point on who I am. You want to know who I am? I am the God who calls back the one who has been dead for three days back to life. The priest got it because they said, look, we're going to have to get rid of Lazarus. We're going to have to kill him too. That, that's what Scripture teaches. If we don't do something, everybody's going to hear. And so Jesus, he just puts an exclamation point on it. It wasn't missed by the religious teachers. It wasn't missed by the religious establishments. But listen, they ignored it. They decided we'll just kill him. But this group chose not to ignore the moment or to waste the moment, but to honor and to worship in that moment. And if you and I will learn to honor and worship Jesus for what He has done, we won't miss what He is doing. Okay? But if I won't worship Him, and I won't thank Him, and I won't honor Him for what He's done for me in the past, why should He do any more for me today or tomorrow? Because I have an ungrateful heart. They didn't do that. They begin to worship. And if you learn to worship and honor Him and to recognize you won't miss your moment of visitation. We worry about that too much. Well, I'm just afraid I'm going to miss what God's doing. Well, not if you open your eyes and clean out your ears. You can't miss it. He is that direct when He's dealing with you or me. You may miss what He's doing to somebody else. But you won't miss yours. He doesn't slip in and go like this and slip out and hope you see it. Sometimes he slaps you with reality. And, and you, you can't miss it. This was a slap of reality to the city of Jerusalem. So to embrace our moment of visitation to the fullest, we, have to, we need to recognize, we need to be looking with anticipation and expectancy for Jesus to do everything that Jesus has promised. Man, I, I've, got, I've got the promises of Scripture that I can, I can grab hold of. And I've got the promises God has personally given me from Scripture that I can grow, grab hold of. And I've got some promises that God has given me prophetically from other individuals that, that sound a lot like Scripture to hold on to. 
Why would I not be expecting him to do those things? If he, if he gave the promises or he spoke to me specifically out of his word or he cared enough about me to bring somebody that would give me a word, why would he not do those things? I've got to be expecting. I've got to be looking for them. I've got to recognize them. And I, it's, it's, Listen, it's not recognizing just things. It's recognizing a person. And the reason we don't recognize Him is we don't know Him. You say, well, I know Jesus. He saved me. Yeah, I understand you know who Jesus is and you know what Jesus has done for you, but you've never got to know Him. You haven't learned to experience Him. You haven't seen Him as a person. He's a figure on a cross or a figure coming out of a tomb, and that's about it. Listen, He is far more than that. He is that. Praise God, but He's far more than that. Jesus says, I am a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I am the one that indwells you. My spirit indwells you. That's how close I want to be to you. And so do we really know Jesus? Not just know about Him, but have we experienced Him? So to embrace, folks, I'm going to close with this, to embrace your moment of visitation at the fullest and mark it down. It is coming. You will have one. You may have one today. But to, to, to have it and understand it to the fullest, you have to, you have to recognize who He is and you have to honor and worship Him with all that you are in everything you do, not just on Sunday. What we do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday in our family at our work, on the way home, in the shopping center, at the grocery store, at the at the and it's hard to represent Jesus at Walmart, but he expects it, okay? Okay? And they're making it harder too, okay? That's my own problem. I have to deal with the Holy Spirit there on that one. Okay? He's he's convicted me. But it's everything. There is no sacred and secular with God. God is concerned about everything. Everything. So don't waste your opportunities. Make opportunities. Take opportunities. Your, your defining moment is, 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 is a person, okay? It's not a, a point in time. It's a person in time who might show up at any time. His name is Jesus. Just embrace Him. Just embrace Him. If you embrace Him, you can't miss your moment. You will trip over it. You will fall. It will be so. He will be the, the, the stone that trips everybody, okay? I'd rather trip over him than be crushed by him. All right? Jerusalem, this nation, these people, they were judged. Judgment fell. Because you didn't recognize the time of your visitation. You didn't realize I came to your house. And you didn't know me. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.